Welcome to the Compass Church Podcast with Pastor Tim Jacobs, a ministry of Compass Church with your Arizona. Join us now as we look into God's Word to be challenged and changed. And a shameless plug for um, my weekly emails that I've been sending out. So you don't have to read them, but if you want to get them, um, you, and you're not getting our, any emails from us, on your card, just write your name and then your email. You don't have to write anything else. I don't care about where you live. I don't care about any of the other things. If you just write your email, and then we can add you to our list. And because I get such a short amount of time to be with you. You know what I mean? Like, we just, we're here to, together for a little bit of time, and then until next week, and, you know, that kind of thing. So just a little thought on that. So give us your email, and I promise that we won't bombard you with a lot of emails. I send one a week, and then you get, like, a general one on, like, stuff going on in the church. And, I mean, Labor Day weekend, there's a lot of people here for Labor Day weekend. It's pretty good. It's very exciting. But I want to remind you about Saturday, too, because here's what happens. This is the time of year, people. NFL, baby. Yeah, eh? NFL. And, and so what happens is people go, God, NFL. God, NFL. NFL, right? <laughs> Sorry. And so, so you, you, can, you, can, um, you don't have to choose. You can have both if you come Saturday at 4.30. So then you have the whole day to just sit back and do nothing but watch TV. So on Sunday. So that's my little shameless plug as well. We good? Awesome. So think about it. Think about it because we got room to grow Saturday. All right. There are times when you come across a passage in the Bible and you think to yourself, what in the world am I going to do with this? And that happened this week with the passage that we're going to look at today. Because not only does it seem to contradict so much of what the rest of the Bible says and so much of what we talk about, but it also arms those who would criticize the Bible for being a hateful, judgmental, vengeful, angry book. You could point at this passage and say, see, that's not right. And so, in fact, it was interesting as I was preparing this message, I was reading other scholars who had written about Psalm 139 because we've been in the Psalm 139 series and we've been going bit by bit. And, and so as I'm reading scholars who had studied this, when we got to this part of the passage, they just left it out. They didn't even write about it. It's like they were too chicken. So we are not here. We take everything, and we don't shy away from anything in the Scripture. So that being said, go ahead and grab the little card that is in your bulletin. Mine's down here on the ground, so let me get that. But um, my little card down in your bulletin, and uh, in your bulletin here, and just, you can see it, this memory card, and we've been challenging you to memorize the whole thing. We've been breaking up little pieces. So if you have the card, we're going to go ahead and read this out loud together in booming voices. Are we ready? Here we go. Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O oh God. O oh, men of blood, depart from me. They speak against you with malicious intent. Your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate those who hate you, O oh Lord? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with complete hatred. I count them my enemies. All right. So, what in the world do we do with this, right? 
Especially because the whole rest of the psalm has been, oh God, you searched me and you know me, I can't get away from you. And you know, it's like this kind of intimate kind of conversation and, and, and praise and worship of God. God, I could never number all your thoughts. And then he turns to like, slay all the bad people and I hate everyone who hates you. Like what accounts for that shift? So there's several ways that we could handle this. The first thing we could do is we can just play it as it lies. And we can say, great, we can hate people after all. David hates him, right? And so that can be, you know, I feel so much better now because I was feeling guilty about all this hatred that I have, but David says he hates people too. And, you know, God, kill all the bad people and make the world a better place. You might say, this is actually my favorite verse in the whole Bible for some of you, right? So before you get too excited and, you know, you want to ink this thing on your back, because some of you are already thinking that, oh yeah, I could do an eagle with a dagger, you know, and the whole thing. Time out, okay, don't get too ahead of yourselves here. I know some of you people. Um, you, you, you have to actually contend with the fact that Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, verse 43, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. Well, that's different. He just said, I hate with complete hatred my enemies, or actually those who hate you. I, I, just, I just hate all kinds of people that stand up against you, Lord. So what do you do with that? Well, that leads us to the second option, which I would call this the we've moved past this option. Meaning this is like, okay, this is pre-Jesus, pre-New Testament, and so it was a more primitive time when, you know, David had these enemies and whatnot, and he didn't know the teachings of Jesus and whatever. And so we don't really need to pay attention to this verse. We can leave it behind. And we, it doesn't have any relevance. It's, it's kind of an old way of thinking. Well, the problem with that is that it says very clearly in 2 Timothy 3.16, Paul says, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. And so, and certainly the Psalms are a part of that. So there's nothing in Scripture that's not necessary or not instructive or not helpful. And so, we have to understand also that, of course, a Psalm is a song. It's an expression of emotion. And just how you write different things in different you know, scenario. So a text message that you send your, your kids or your spouse or your parents or whatever else is going to look different and you're going to use different language than an essay that you would write for school or some other kind of professional writing that you might need to do. But at the same time, it brings up this important question. Is it ever right to wish death upon or hate an enemy? I mean, what do we do with this idea of wishing that God would slay people? And what do we do with this idea of hating enemies? How do we make sense of this? Well, if we go back and look at the first few verses, he says, Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God, O men of blood. And when he says men of blood, it's men of blood shed. Men who shed blood. Bloodthirsty men. Murderous, brutal human beings. Away from me, God. Get them away from me. They speak against you with malicious intent, and your enemies take your name in vain. And I would say that one of the things that we kind of have to recognize or be honest about 
is this reality. Sometimes the only way the innocent can be protected is if an attacker is destroyed. Now this is, so sometimes the only way the innocent can be protected, sometimes, is if an attacker is destroyed. Now we have to put ourselves in the context of the time that David was writing this and the fact that he was a king. Even if you're a high-level political person anywhere in the world today, there are going to be people who want you dead and who actually pose what you might call an existential threat to you. That it's not just, they don't want to just ruin your career or block your promotion or, you know, make you a less popular person at school, but they actually want to bury you in the ground. And this was especially true for David. He had enemies all throughout his life. King Saul was after him to kill him. Entire armies were after him to kill him. He had multiple people. It wasn't like, you know, the enemy of my enemy is my friend. It was like the enemy of my enemy is my enemy, you know? I mean, he had enemies everywhere, all, all over the place. And the thing that we have to understand, oh, and by the way, when it says they take your name in vain, it wasn't just people that were like walking around going, oh my God, you know, like saying it flippantly. That's not what he means. It means that they were doing their evil actions and even doing it in the name of God. And like they were pursuing him and bringing harm against him or at least wanting to and and doing it in God's name. So what do you do with this? One of the things we have to understand is that most of us will never be in a position in our lives where a real human being or an army for that matter, actually poses a threat where they want us specifically dead. There's probably, now maybe there's a few of you out there, but probably no one is going to have to experience the, the, the fear and the dread and the fatigue that comes from being hunted down by human beings who could, if they prevail, kill you. And so until we are in a situation like that, it's very hard for us to totally understand and we should be careful before we judge the emotional response of someone saying, God, just deliver me and the only way I can be delivered is if you stop my enemies and the only way you're going to stop my enemies is if they're dead because they will not stop until they're dead. You guys know that I'm a reserve chaplain in the Air Force. And my, at my base in um, California, they have um, an RPA mission. And I was corrected last service by one of our, one of our uh, airmen because he, they, they really bristle against the word drone. And I knew that, but I was trying to, it's like, well, if you don't, when you hear the word drone, that's what you think, these things that fly around without any pilots. They're like, no, you have to tell them they're RPAs, remote pilot aircraft. So now you knew, now you know. RPA. But you guys wouldn't know that unless I explain it to you. So they fly these remote pilot aircraft, right? And while we were over visiting these guys, and they showed us a video of a scene where I think it was most likely a helmet cam of, these, of our troops that were in Iraq, and they were facing these insurgents, and they were in a firefight. And it was very clear in the video that our guys were starting to lose. They were getting flanked, and you could hear the rounds whizzing by. I mean, it was like serious business. And so as they're, you know, trying to engage and trying to figure out what to do, and they're calling out stuff, and there's a lot of intensity in their voices, they were directing the RPA coordinates 
to say where the enemy was, where the fire was coming from. And so as they're, they're you know, having these rounds whiz by them and they're in this intense firefight, all of a sudden in the video, you see this thing come out of the sky and all of a sudden there's this huge explosion, right? And instantly all our guys start cheering like, yeah, you know? And they're like so excited. And it was an amazing video to watch. But when we watched that video, there wasn't for an instant any cheering or thought that the reason that they were cheering was because there were families who just lost a brother or a son or a father. That wasn't why they were cheering. They were cheering because now, at least it seems like, they're going to make it through the rest of the day. But 10 seconds ago, they weren't sure if they were going to see evening. And now, they're probably going to make it out. And they were so relieved. And you could hear the relief. And you could hear the, the, just the cry of deliverance, right? And I say this because it's in, it's in those moments that, that, that these things become very real. And so it's rather than saying, oh, this verse isn't relevant to us anymore, it's important to keep in our minds that there are situations that people deal with even today where the only way they're going to survive is if the person who is pursuing them is stopped. And the only way this person can be stopped is if they're somehow, you know, maimed or injured or killed because there's nothing else going to stop them. And those of you in law enforcement know that. And those of you that are involved in protecting our country know that. And so it's, it's hard sometimes when you're not, when you don't face that to, to go to judging, oh, you know, that's wrong to wish, to wish death. And it's like, we're not wishing death. I just don't want to die myself. And there's no other middle ground. And we have to also realize that there are places around the world today where people face this kind of danger every single day of their lives for doing nothing. Now, that being said, understand that's different then from sitting down and reading this passage and saying, God, you know Sally at work. You know what she does. She eats other people's lunch in the refrigerator. She gossips about people. She wants the same job that I do. Sally is wicked. Oh, Lord, that you would slay her. That's not a good prayer. Don't pray that. That's a messed up bad prayer. It's not the same thing. This is why, by the way, when Jesus came to earth, for all intents and purposes at that time, the Roman government was basically the enemy of the people at least the Jews and the Christians that were beginning to multiply. They were an occupying force. And what you could do back then is if you were a Roman soldier, you could go up to anyone on the street and say, hey, carry my bag for me. And under Roman law, you had to carry the person's bag one mile. You had to do it. You had to carry the soldier's stuff, whatever it is. So, you know, you're out there doing your thing, you know, you're picking up kids from soccer practice and you're trying to get everything ready and you're busy, you got too many things in your to-do list. And all of a sudden, some like hotshot young lieutenant comes over and says, hey, you, come here. Pick that up and carry it for me. <sighs> all right. Now, here's what you're going to do. You're going to pick that thing up and you're going to start walking and you're going to look at your little Fitbit and you're like, I am not going to walk any longer than I have to. So you're going, and it's like 5,279 feet, 5,280 feet. Boom. Drop it on the ground. I did my job. See ya. And that's the way that the relationship would go. 
So why do I have to do anything more than what I'm legally required to do? So Jesus comes along and says, hey, look, if a guy asks you to carry his stuff one mile, I got one, carry it too. Now, why would he ask us to do that? So we could be some kind of pushovers or doormats? No, he's doing that to revolutionize and break the Roman law. Because if you carry it for him two miles, you're rendering the Roman law meaningless. You're breaking its power. And so what happens is you get past the 5,280 feet mark and you keep on walking and the guy goes, what are you doing? Hey, you look like you could use a little grace today. You look like you could use some mercy. I got this. Seriously, I'm not trying to be, a, I'm not trying to be smart. I'll, I'll carry it for you more. Why are you doing that? Oh, that's a great question. Because I've received grace and mercy in my own life and I just want to show it to you. See? Now when you do that, you are not only opening the door to be able to share about the grace and forgiveness and compassion and mercy that's been shown to you, you are also saying, I do not live under your rule, dude. I live under God's rule. And God's rule is love. And so when we live under the rule of love, it makes your rules that try to compel some sort of decency, or even in this case, some sort of oppression, it makes them meaningless. I'll do it for you anyway. I don't need your stupid law. So you're going beyond the law. You're going above the law. We had a whole series on this called Above the Law. You can listen to it. This whole concept. And so this is the kind of thing. So what happens is when we come to a passage like this, we don't go, okay, God, I pray that you would smite Sally, that her hair would get caught in the paper shredder, you know, and that she would die a horrible death. You don't do that kind of stuff. So I just, it's trying to think of a bad way to die in an office building, and that's all I can think of. Sorry. Um, but but you, you, you rather you say, I'm going to, to follow the law of love, which means I'm going to return bad behavior with merciful behavior. Now again, this is not, you don't let yourself get abused to the point of like, you know, where you can't report it or whatever else. But we know there's all kinds of politics and stupid stuff that goes on that no one can really track or do anything about. It's just part of being human. So you, you return a lack of mercy with mercy. You return lack of love with love. And all of a sudden you make whatever she's doing out to be pretty stupid. It's like, why are you like that? We don't need to be like that. And you raise the bar by how you live under the law of God. That's what we do. So I have to put that in its right context. We're not talking about, we're talking about two different things. Because even though you might have a difficult problem with someone at work, that being said, there is real evil in the world and we should hate it. Because if you don't hate it, the only other option you have other than participating in it is indifference. And indifference is not good. Indifference as well, it's not my problem, I don't care. The fact that, you know, people are getting slaughtered around the world or people are starving around the world, it's not my problem. Did you know that in North Korea, right now, in North Korea, if you're in a gulag, a prison, the guards will routinely order prisoners to run for the fence and try to escape so they can get their shooting training in. Because they, why, why use a, a paper target when you can use the real thing? And so they'll eliminate and they'll, they'll murder prisoners 
It's for target practice. It happens today. And by the way, a lot of those prisoners are Christians. Did you know that if you escape from North Korea and you, uh, you get caught and they bring you back, they ask you three questions. One of them is, like, why did you leave? The second one is, who did you talk to? And the third one is, did you attend a church? Really? I read this. It's, it's, it's well documented. Why, would, why, why do they care? Oh, they care. What's so dangerous about going to church? Everything. Remember that whole Roman law, higher law? Yeah, it's there. So does that bug you? That right now in the world, those kinds of things are going on. So, you know, I, I guess what I'm trying to say is like, before we get all like on our little high horse about, you know, slaying, you know, saying, asking God to protect, basically to protect us from our enemies. And the only way, so there's no middle ground. Spells, the only way to do that is if my attacker is stopped. So do I pray that? Well, I don't know, except, you know what? If I'm in that situation, God, I don't want to die. Please keep the bloodthirsty men from me. Do whatever you have to do. Please keep evil from hurting and ruining and destroying the lives of innocent people. And yeah, it should bug you. And if you have a moral issue with this, then the only other option you have is indifference. I'm just going to say, hear no evil, see no evil, speak no evil. La, 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 I'm pretending it's not there. And it's very easy to do that here. Even in our community, where it's very, very rare, the kind of violence that many of the people in the world have to deal with. I was very moved by, there's a guy named Joseph Leconte. I've quoted him many times. His book, which I, I just, it's been one of the books that has given me like just opened my, my mind and, and uh, given me a lot of things to think about. And several of our staff have read it. It's called A Hobbit, A Wardrobe, and A Great War. And it's about uh, J.R. Tolkien and C.S. Lewis's um, writings, you know, The Lord of the Rings and the, the, all the, the Narnia series and how they were influenced by their involvement in World War I. And, and the whole, it was, it's a fascinating book just about how they were, they became different than the other writers of their era and how their other writers got very um, negative and, and um, nihilistic, but they kept the hopeful. And part of it was because they were, they both were solid Christians and they were trying to see the world through a hopeful lens at the same time, realizing there's a great battle and there's sometimes you just have to fight it, right? And so in Tolkien's, there's this great line in Lord of the Rings where, where uh, one of the characters that Tolkien created, this guy Faramir, he says this. He says, war must be while we defend our lives against a destroyer who would devour all. But I do not love the bright sword for its sharpness, nor the arrow for its swiftness, nor the warrior for his glory. I love only that which they defend. That's awesome. And some of us, you know, hey, this is the Wild West, right? You know, I love living out here in Arizona, man. What do we got, like 250 people in here? I don't know, 260 people? Probably um, accounts for about 1,000 firearms between everybody. I don't know. I know you people. I know you guys. I saw one guy on the, on the, he's not even a part of our security team, walking around with this thing, hanging on his, it's the old west, man. What can you do? And listen, I'm a Second Amendment guy. I got my guns, right? I got them. I got no problem with it. We have armed security all over the place around here. Okay, so I'm a big believer in all that stuff. But we got to be careful because some of us, it's like, you know, you get so excited. And I get those of us who love firearms just for loving the, the target practice and the shooting. But sometimes I wonder, you got to think about what you, what's coming out of your mouth, what's going through your mind. Yeah, this thing, man, it could just wipe out 30 people in half a second. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Let's, let's think about that. All right. And I love that quote because he's not, he doesn't love the violence. He loves 
what the violence will do, which is protect those who need protection. That's it. But he says in something very interesting, he says, he, he, see, Tolkien acknowledges a destroyer that would, that would devour all. And so, see, he's tapped into something very, very interesting. And if we were to ask ourselves, what destroyer is he talking about? That really leads us to the second point that I think is very important to help us understand this little passage. And that is this. It is good and it is right to hate our real enemy who is Satan and all that he does. So he says, do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with complete hatred. It's so funny, the language there, because like one, one of the guys I was reading said, he is like, he's saying, I hate them with my whole being, right? So like, I hate them with my stomach and I hate them with my intestines and I hate them with my kidneys. I hate them with my liver. I hate them with my spleen. You know, it's like this, he's like, it's like that would be saying like everything in me, I hate them with, right? It's a very strong statement. But this is hard because the worst thing you can be accused of right now in our culture is being a hater, right? You're a hater. No one wants to be called a hater. If you're a hater, like there's nothing worse than being a hater. I think it's worse than being called a murderer. You're a hater. You just don't want to be called a hater now. You don't want that put all over social media. So what do we do with this? Well, this is where we do need to read this passage in light of a very significant shift that has occurred when Jesus came to earth that, that didn't change the overall mission but defined more specifically who our enemy really is. And it's expressed very specifically in Ephesians chapter 6 when Paul says put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of who? The devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Peter defines it this way. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour, which is so interesting, by the way, because everybody thinks that Satan is in hell. You know, just kind of like checking people in, you know? They drop down, you go that way, you go that way, here's the keys to your room, right? And it's just like, and he's got his little tail and his pitchfork, his little horns, little red onesie, right? <laughs> He's not in hell. Where does Peter say he is? He prowls around. Where? Here. And he's not everywhere either. That's, he, that would make him like God. He is localized because he doesn't have the same qualities as God. So he's not everywhere, but he is here. It's what the scripture clearly says. Seeking what? Someone to devour, which is just what we read from this token line a little while ago. Resist him. Firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. So in that case, there's persecution and evil things and existential evil happening to these guys for just being Christians at that time. And Peter's saying, look, it's done by the Romans, but the real guy behind it is Satan. Very, very key shift in how we understand where the battle lines are drawn and who it is that we're actually fighting. And so we need to be able to see the real enemy. And this is important because my real enemy is not the person who disagrees with me politically. 
and not the person who doesn't believe the same thing I do about religion and not the person who lives their life in a way that I would disagree with sexually. All of these people I may disagree with and think that their vision of the world is the wrong one and if their ideologies and ideas prevail, that is ultimately a bad thing for the world. I can believe that 100%, but they themselves are not the real enemy. And if you keep thinking that, you will miss the whole point of the gospel and you will go through and you will basically miss the whole point of the battle because you're fighting the wrong person. And so you say, that person, she's my enemy and he's my enemy and they're not. My real enemy is Satan. And that allows me to have moral clarity so now I can actually love a person who is deeply wrong and misguided and even evil in their actions. And I can say, God, but they're living apart from you. They're not living the way they were created to live. They're my brother and sister. We share the same blood. We were created in the image of God, but they've been held captive by Satan. And it does not mean they're not responsible for their actions. Don't get me wrong. It does not mean that if we are representatives of the government, and we are designed to be people that protect people um, and keep the peace that we don't take action against those people, of course. But from a personal sense, there is a heck of a lot of anger and hatred coming out of the Christian community towards the wrong enemy. It's not the person that disagrees with you. It's the spiritual evil that is much more dangerous to you than just some person that believes something different politically on taxes or even, quite frankly, on sexual ethics. People say love the sinner and hate the sin, and that's fine, but I've never really, I've never really, to me it just sounds kind of trite, and I go, why do I have a problem with it? And I think part of it is because I don't really know um, how, I, I want to be able to love the, the sinner, so to speak, love the evil person, but I also need, I need something more specific to hate, or to at least direct my, my, uh, opposition towards, and it's not just the actions of this person, but it's a willful personality such as, a, such as Satan, a willful individual being that does walk on the planet. It does live here, does dwell here. And we spend the rest of our lives fighting him. So if we answer the question that's on the, the program today, how do I learn to hate my real enemy, as the title says, well, the first thing I have to do is acknowledge his existence. It's very hard to, to fight someone that you don't even think is there. And a lot of people are like, ah, you know, Satan doesn't exist. Well, I mean, the Bible says all over the place that he does. Jesus acknowledged that he does all over the place. So I don't know what you do with that. I mean, it may be an unpopular idea. The second thing I have to do is I have to be aware of his strategy. Jesus says very clearly that the thief comes to steal and to kill and to destroy. Paul says that he masquerades himself as an angel of light. The bright and shiny thing. So, you know, you see bright and shiny things all over the place. You're married, and you see this nice-looking person who's very friendly, and they pop up on Facebook. Oh, where have you been? I haven't seen you since high school. What's going on? How's it going? You see somebody at work, and, they, and you start having those conversations when no one's around, and you do the little instant message thing. And your marriage isn't going so hot. What is what you got? You got a bright and shiny thing right there. It's bright and shiny. It's so, it's glistening everywhere. It's got little glitter all over it. And it's like, whoa. And Satan's holding that thing out. Come on, come on. Come on, it's beautiful. You got to be aware. You got to be aware of his strategy. Because Paul says also in 2 Corinthians, we're not unaware of his schemes. We got to know how he operates, man. Okay? He's a deceiver. 
And this is perhaps the most jarring one. So I, re- I have to remember, see, and, and I'll say this in a second, but as I was going through this and I was trying to think, okay, what do we do with this fact? So, so, so David says, I hate those who hate you. He never says, I hate those who hate me. He says, God, I hate those who hate you. And I count them as my enemies. So God, what I'm trying to say is your enemies are my enemies. And this is important because part of it, it doesn't mean that David's going to spend all this time just stewing with hatred, like, oh, I just want to hate all day long. No, what he's saying is, God, I reject 100% the actions and any association with people who are opposing you. Do not count me as one of them, God. I don't want to be numbered as one of them. I, I want to be separate from that. So he's praying this prayer. God, I, I just do declaring my allegiance to you. But if we're really going to understand the battle and the history of the battle, then we have to understand the third thing when it comes to hating my real enemy is that I have to remember that I was once on his side. You say, what are you talking about? What are you talking about? I'm not a Satanist. I don't worship the devil. I don't even believe in the devil. I never thought of the devil. I don't never think about him. I just, I haven't even dressed up as him for Halloween. I don't care about the devil. What are you saying? Well, I'm not saying anything. I'm just saying what the scripture said. Look what it says in Romans 5. For if, while we were God's enemies, we were, we were reconciled. Reconciled means brought back. If you reconcile a marriage, you restore, you bring it back together, right? We were reconciled to him through the death of his son. How much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? So both the death and the resurrection of Jesus rescue us and reconcile us to God. And he goes on in Colossians, once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. But now, he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation. Now this is tricky. Because what it's saying is if you're a Christian, you're not an enemy of God. If you're not a Christian, you are an enemy of God. Now, that's a little bit awkward because, I mean, you know, you might be here for the first time just checking this place out. You don't even know where you're at with God and you come to church and they're basically like, are you saying I'm an enemy of God? Like, hi there. My name's Tim. You must be an enemy of God. <laughs> so this is a little bit awkward. Like, I didn't expect to come to church to be called an enemy of God. So understand that according to the scripture, there is no middle ground. Because you're like, well, I'm not an enemy of God. I just don't like, I believe in him. I just don't really follow him. I, I follow myself. But there's no room for following yourself. There's no spiritual Switzerland going on here. There's either God or there's Satan. There's no neutral zone. And so the neutral zone, obviously, I just believe what I want to believe. But see, what the Bible would say about that is that's fine. You might be reporting to yourself, but there's a chain of command that finds its way all the way at the top, and it's, it's Satan. Well, I never thought about that. Well, you don't have to think about it. In fact, he doesn't even want you to think about it. He doesn't care if you think about it. But just know that if you're reporting to yourself, there's a chain of command at the very top of Satan. So, in other words, because you're living apart from God, you're not living for God, you're not living in his kingdom or under his law or under his rule, therefore you're living in the other place, in the other kingdom, which Paul calls the kingdom of darkness, which is why if you are a Christian, he says clearly in, in Colossians chapter one, you have been transferred from where you were, which was the kingdom, the domain, the, the, the nation of darkness, and brought into the kingdom of light. Very huge. So, what happens is, this is how the lines are drawn. This is kind of a serious thing. 
So how is remembering that I was once an enemy of God helped me to learn to hate Satan and the forces of evil? Because I have to remember where I came from and I have to remember the propensity that I still have at times. This is why Paul says in Romans chapter seven, for we know the law is spiritual, but I'm of the flesh sold under sin. For I do not understand my own actions for, check this out, I do not do what I want, but the very thing that I hate. (gasps) What does he hate? He hates the sin in his own life. And you have to understand something. And some of you guys, you know, and I'll include myself in this, we are so excited to just look for all the people that are doing what's not right in God's eyes and so ready to go, oh, they're ruining the country and they're tearing down Christianity and they're making the world a worse place. And we neglect to confront the sin in our own lives and we remain indifferent about it. And yet how easily do we do the same things that we get angry at other people for doing? So, a few months ago, my wife and I, we were having a conversation. It was very late at night. The kids were finally asleep, or at least not bothering us anymore. I shouldn't say that. We love our kids. We love it when they bother us. But anyway, so we're talking. It's late at night, and we're having this great conversation, and she was talking, you know, I think a good amount. And which I love. I was listening. I was listening. <clears throat> You're like, <laughs> okay. No, she was, she was communicating well. And then I was talking because it's my turn. And I'm a talker too. So I'm like, blah, 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 blah. And I'm talking. I'm like, and I was saying like important stuff. And all of a sudden, no, she was saying important stuff too. But it was late. No, listen, listen, listen. <laughs> And all of a sudden, she committed the cardinal sin of active, empathetic listening. She yawned. (laughs) And I watched her. She yawned. And I was like, well, okay. I mean, that's cool. I mean, I guess whatever. We can just, you know, go to sleep, whatever. And um, bad move on my part, right? And then, because she's got, she's already got it teed up, you know? I mean, hey, it's midnight. I've been up since five in the morning. I am tired. I've been running the kids around, blah, 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 doing all this stuff, going to work and everything else. And I had to make dinner and clean the house and everything else. Sorry, I'm listening to you. I heard everything you said. I'm sorry. Biologically, I need to yawn. <laughs> so now it's like, she yawns. I apologize. <laughs> so that's what happened. All right, next day, I'm having lunch with Gabe. You know, this guy, a worship guy. We're going to his favorite place in the world, Chipotle. He won't stop eating there. It drives me nuts. <laughs> and he's a talker, too. So he's talking, blah, 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 you know. And no kidding, I yawned. I yawned, I went, oh, dear Lord Jesus. And I could, I could not believe it. And so I texted my wife, I said, you're not going to believe what just happened. <laughs> you know, I was like, 
I was out to lunch with Gabe and I yawned. And she's like, she's like the most gracious person in the world. She thought it was like the funniest thing in the world that that happened that I told her about it. But here's what I'm trying to say. It's like, that's a very kind of goofy, kind of semi-funny example of what we do all the time. And some of you are on the war path with people around you. And you know, take five seconds to put a mirror up to your own life and say, forget everybody out there. I have been an enemy of God. And you know what? As Paul says, sometimes I still act like one. Sometimes I still do things that I hate doing. And Paul isn't indifferent about his own sin. He's like, ah, oh, you know, I occasionally, you know, go out in an angry, vicious tirade against people that I love, and it's no big deal. You know, occasionally I, I cheat over here. Occasionally I, I get, you know, stuck in some kind of addiction. Occasionally I get high, you know, but it's just part of being alive. He goes, no, he goes, I hate these things that I'm doing. And I go, why do I keep doing this? I don't want to, I'm not in this kingdom anymore. So you want to look at the enemy. The enemy is Satan, and so often the things that are really going to hurt you are not this guy out there or that, that woman out there. It's you and his impact on your life when you don't fight him. And so we have to be people that do that. And so this is why he says, who will rescue me from this body of death? Thanks to be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. By the way, I'll tell you, this is why it's so important that when, when David says this, and the reason I know that what I'm telling you is absolutely accurate and true is because right after he says, I hate those who hate you, and I count them as my enemies. Oh, by the way, and this is next week's verse, search my heart, oh God. Search my heart and look at my thoughts and see if there's any way in me that displeases you. Because I hate everyone who hates you, God, and I count them as my enemies, and I hate them with my spleen, and oh, also, make sure I'm not one of them too. Will you look at me? And will you show me? Will you show me the things in my life that show that I'm living in opposition to you? Very, very good. And so that we have to understand who our real enemy is. And I'm telling you guys, if you don't start hating the sin in your own life, and you don't go to war against it, you're going to miss the opportunities that God gives you to do amazing things in his kingdom and to be able to let this bleed out to everybody else in your life. And it's got to bleed out to everybody else in our life. So when I see my brothers and sisters who are chained to sin, who are hooked on drugs, and we see the brokenness in the world, man, that should make you angry. And I got to tell you something, you know, there is a pastor in Inland Empire last week out west, young guy, big church, beautiful family, he committed suicide last week. They say more and more pastors are committing suicide. The rate's going up. He struggled with mental illness as many in this room do. And as I've said many times before, if you struggle with mental illness, you are welcome here. I'm glad that you're here and my heart breaks for you and I hope that you're doing what you can with all the technology and science that's available to be able to control sometimes those imbalances that can happen in our brain just like any other physical challenge that we might have. I also understand there's places of darkness that you walk through that no one understands and can quite identify with. But Satan can exploit those things as well. And so when you hear words like, no one understands, and I'm all alone, and there is no hope, and nobody cares, and I should just isolate myself further, those are lies, 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 lies. Not from some dude you've been fighting with on Facebook, but from the enemy who prowls around like a roaring lion seeking to devour somebody. And that somebody is you. 
So whether you have mental illness you struggle with or not, we have to be aware. So I'm going to wrap this up by saying, asking you a couple of things. Can I ask you, do you hate the sin in your life with a complete hatred? That's the first decision some of us need to make is we need to repent of being indifferent to our own sin. Start hating it. Say, you know what, this is unacceptable. There's not going to be two masters in this house. Only one. And it's going to be Jesus. Number two, some of us have been fighting the wrong enemy or hating the wrong enemy. We're all hopped up on people that make us so mad. You've been wasting all this energy going after the wrong entity. And you've got to repent of your hatred for your brother. Your brother who doesn't believe like you. Your brother who, who votes differently from you. Her brother, your brother who lives differently or your sister lives differently from you. And you think they're ruining the world. You miss the whole thing, man. You ought to be loving those people and praying for them because God loves them and has put you on the planet so you could be an instrument to perhaps somehow, some way reach them. And that may cost you your life. Finally, some of us in here today, and I hate to say it, although I don't hate to say it, but I'm just saying like, you know, here's what it is. You're either in the kingdom of light or you're in the kingdom of darkness. You're either serving God or you're serving Satan. One or the other. You're not, you, like I said, you can't you serve yourself fine, but you're still in this camp over here. Maybe it's time to get out of this camp. So I'd ask you, who are you living for? Whose side are you on? Whose side are you on? Because if you're not on God's side, there's only one other side. You just got to know that. So I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes right now. And if you would, just take a moment. There's three specific challenges I'm going to offer you. The first one is this. If you are in the kingdom of darkness and you know it and you've been sensing it, you've been sensing you are distanced from God, you, are, you have not yet surrendered your life to him, I want to give you the chance to do that right now. Wave the white flag and just say, God, I surrender. I've been fighting for the wrong side and I didn't even really totally know it. I have been your enemy and today I'm asking that you would forgive me of my sin. I'm turning around and I'm asking that you come into my life. You'd forgive me and rescue me. I want Jesus to be the hero of my story. I don't want to live for myself anymore. I want to live for you. Just tell him that in your heart right now. Secondly, some of us need to repent of the hatred we've had in our hearts towards our brothers and sisters. Maybe who have hurt us very badly. Hatred will wreck you and ruin you. And so you need to pray, God, I confess my sin of hatred and anger. I have no right to feel that way or to live that way, especially in light of the grace that you have given to me. And finally, some of us need to begin hating the sin in our own lives. To acknowledge that there's a real enemy and to acknowledge that there is a real battle and to go to war against that which displeases God. 
and say, God, I don't want to be counted. I don't want you to ever look at me and see a person that is fighting for the other side. I never want to be counted among anyone who opposes you. God, help me to live a life that is pleasing to you, that reflects my love for you, and go to war against the evil in my own life. God, thank you for the fact that all Scripture is breathed out by you and we can get into the context and we can get into the history and we can see what's going on and we can derive amazing truth from it. God, that your spirit leads us in powerful ways. And I thank you for every single person in this church. They are so, their life is so important. Every single person matters to you greatly. Raise us up, God. Breathe new life into us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us today. Why not ask God to change your life so you can go and change your world for Him? To find out more about our church online, go to www.compasschurch.info and we'll see you next time.